Welcome to another week of Come Follow Me Disciples Journey. This week we're studying um, the official declarations 1 and 2 and the articles of faith. Um, for time reasons, and obviously this is late, I'm publishing this days after I normally do, uh, I'm just going to do one pretty brief episode uh, and just cover a few quick highlights and some historical context and things of these uh, these revelations is what they are. Um, and so we'll just go from uh, Official Declaration 1 and then to number 2 and then Articles of Faith. So Official Declaration 1 um, is what ends the practice of polygamy. And uh, this is in uh, 1890. And um, as you read in the Declaration there's the there's the official declaration, and then there's excerpts from three addresses um, from President Woodruff uh, about it. Um, and so we talked uh, a couple weeks ago about the introduction of the practice of polygamy and how difficult it was for Joseph Smith and for the saints. Now they've been living it uh, this law for roughly fifty years. And it's become a part of who they are. Uh, many saints started to really identify with polygamy, and and, and um, when I say identify, what am I trying to say here? That the peculiarity uh, of the saints was directly tied to the practice of polygamy, and there was a there was a certain pride, and not not a sinful pride, but that hey, we're supposed to be different than the world, and this thing is what makes us different, and there was this acceptance of that and uh, a weaving of it into the culture. And so when it was um, stopped, when the practice of polygamy was stopped, and um, the saints were told to no longer practice it, it was a hard thing. Just like it had been hard to accept to start it, it became hard to stop it. Um, There are reports of people in in the pews when... um, the, the declaration was read that uh, husbands and wives were, were crying together, um, not not sure what it meant for them and their future, not sure what it meant for the church's future. Um, and so we read it now and we think, okay, that stopped. Because we, as we, we talked a few weeks ago, I, I acknowledged my own personal like just questions and like not understanding what, what the entire purpose of polygamy is or was. Um, but I never practiced it. I never lived it. It never became a part of who I was, who I am. And so for the, I, I think understanding that background um, is also really critical to, under, to know. Um, President Woodruff's, I think, insights uh, the, 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 the excerpts that we have next to the declaration, the official declaration here are pretty powerful. There's a few, few, few things. The first, uh, he starts by saying that the Lord will never allow the prophet to lead the saints or the world astray. If a prophet were to try to do so, he would be removed and someone would take his place because God won't allow, allow that to happen. And whether that's about polygamy or about anything else, I think that's a very comforting, uh, doctrine, a very comforting truth. And we should 
strive to remember that. The next thing is, um, whoever's leading the church has to do it in God's way. That if they try to do it their own way, um, they can't do it. They will not be able to lead the church. They'll be able to lead the world as the prophet. They have to do it in God's way. And then the final thought uh, that I want to share that he, uh, President Woodruff shared is that he saw exactly what would happen to the church and to the saints if they did not stop to stop practicing polygamy. Now, what it amounts to is um, significant persecution and and political and both political and physical oppression. Uh, obviously, the saints had with, withstood that before, but the time for that had passed, really. But President Woodruff said, if, had the Lord said, well, and the other thing is um, he, that he specifically mentioned was the shutting down of temples, that the, 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 the United States would have shut down temp, all the temples and taken the, any temples that were built away. Um, and so that was obviously an important thing. But President Woodruff did say, had, the, had God told me, let the temples go, let, do, let him, you know, and suffer this persecution, he said, I would have. Just like the saints did in Missouri and in Nauvoo, they let the temples go because that's what God had said to do. And that's what's important to remember is that the, the prophet will always do and guide us in the way that the Lord tells him to do. And so I kind of transi- transitions us into the official declaration number two, which was um, a revelation to uh, that all worthy males could receive the priesthood regardless of race. And that meant also temple blessings for every person, every um, worthy adult, right? Uh, there are some amazing stories of African saints who find book of, copies of the Book of Mormon and started branches, and but they didn't have the priesthood and there was no organized branch, uh, but they were meeting together and they had one copy of the Book of Mormon and they would pass it around and each person would have a few minutes with it. Um, and one of these stories in particular... Uh, I, uh, the, the man's name eludes me right now, but he had been waiting and waiting. Had, had they had written letters and over and over to Salt Lake saying, please send someone to organize a branch and to baptize us. And the answer was always hold, hold strong and wait. And one night he was unable to sleep and he just happened to turn on the radio uh, and he was able to pick up the BBC radio news. Um, and they were announcing that the Mormon church out of Salt Lake City, Utah, had announced that all members uh, of their church would be eligible, all worthy males would be eligible to receive the priesthood. Um, And that obviously changed. Missionaries were immediately sent to Africa. There were entire villages baptized in in multiple locations and places, these these places that had been prepared. Now, why the blacks in particular didn't have the priesthood at the time, I don't know. I like this and it's an answer. I don't like it. I think there are a lot of things that you can kind of say that maybe add up to a potential, potential reason, but none of them are the answer that I, that, that I feel confident, confident, like even sharing with you all. I don't know. But what I do know is that when we try to understand the reasons why behind the Lord before, uh, just having faith in him, then that will always come up short. Um, 
what I do know is also is that every worthy male is now eligible to receive the priesthood and receive temple blessings along with every worthy female and to receive the power of the priesthood. Every every worthy male and female that can uh, goes to the temple is now worthy to, to receive the power of God. Um, there are some pretty amazing accounts from the uh, general authorities that the apostles who were in the temple uh, at the time of this revelation was received. Now, um, Spencer W. Kimball was the prophet at the time. He had prayed often to, to know what to do about this policy. Many, uh, the reports are that multiple presidents of the church had done the same thing and they felt like this was a policy. No one, the thing is this too, by the way, when, when Joseph Smith was the prophet and the short first, church first started, black members of the uh, uh, were baptized and received the priesthood. And then at some point, something happened. And some people want to point to Brigham Young, but there's no, historically, there's actually like this weird, like where did it like actually like start? And where was this policy like implemented? Where did it come from? And then it just suddenly was this, was a policy. Um, and so... But, but 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 prophets had had felt like it had become this thing where they needed to receive revelation, specific revelation to change it. And so there there had been prayers and there had been many prayers, and President Kimball had prayed many times, and they met together as the leaders of the church, uh, the, the first presidency and ten of the apostles. Uh, one of them was away uh, on assignment, and the other was uh, sick in the hospital at the time. So there was not the full 12, but there was 10 plus the first presidency. And there are some pretty amazing stories. Uh, president Hinckley was um, one of these who was president at the time. Uh, Bruce R. McConkey, David B. Haight. Um, I believe David B. Haight. Maybe I made that one up. I'm pretty sure I read an account from Elder Haight. Uh, but they're pretty powerful. They, they shared their experiences. And I'll just share with you, uh, Gordon B. Hinckley's, he said, there was a hallowed and sanctified atmosphere in the room. For me, it felt as if a conduit opened between the heavenly throne and the kneeling, pleading prophet of God who was joined by his brethren. The Spirit of God was there. And by the power of the Holy Ghost, there came upon that prophet an assurance that the thing of which for which he prayed was the right, that the time had come, and that now the wondrous blessing of the priesthood should be extended to worthy men everywhere, regardless, regardless of lineage. Every man in that circle, by the power of the Holy Ghost, knew the same thing. It was, It was a quiet, sublime occasion. There was not a sound of as of rushing of mighty wind. There was not a cloven of tongues like as a fire, as there had been on the day of Pentecost. But there was a Pentecostal spirit, for the Holy Ghost was there. No vo- no audible voice to our physical ears was heard, but the voice of the Spirit whispered within us with a certainty into our minds and our very souls. It was for us, at least for me personally, as I imagine it was with Enos, who said concerning his remarkable experience. And while I was thus struggling in the Spirit, behold, the voice of the Lord came into my mind. So it was on that memorable June 1st, 1978. We left that meeting subdued and reverent and joyful. Not one of us who was present on that occasion was ever quite the same after that. Nor has the church ever been quite the same. All of us knew that the time had come for the change and that the decision had come from the heavens. The answer was clear. There was perfect unity among us in our experience and in our understanding. And because it's pretty cool just to that's okay. That's one person's. I am actually going to read you other McConkey's as well. He said, on this occasion, because of the importuning and the faith, and because of the hour had arrived, the Lord and His providence poured out its Holy Ghost 
upon the first presidency and the twelve in a miraculous and marvelous manner, beyond anything then present, any then present had experienced. So this is again. Remember, this is the prophet and the first presidency and the quorum of the twelve, and uh, Elder McConkie saying that the spirit there was more than any of those people who were present had ever experienced. The revelation came to the president of the church. It also came to each individual president. The result was that President Kimball knew, and each of us knew, independent of any other person by direct and personal revelation to us, that the time had now come to extend the gospel and all its blessings and all its obligations, including the priesthood and the blessings of the house of the Lord, to those of every nation, culture, and race. There was no question whatsoever as to what happened or as to the word and message that came. The revelation came to the president of the church, and in harmony with the church government was announced by him. The announcement was made eight days later over the signature of the First Presidency. But in this instance, in addition to the revelation coming to that man who had announced it to the church and to the world, and who was sustained as the mouthpiece of God on earth, the revelation came to every member of the, the body that I na- have named. They all knew it in the temple. In my judgment, this was done by the Lord in this way because it was a revelation of such tremendous significance and import, one which would reverse the whole direction of the church procedurally and administratively, one which would affect the living and the dead, one which would affect the total relationship that we'd had with the world. One, I say, of such significance, the Lord wanted independent witnesses who could bear record that that thing had happened. <clears throat> and by the way, I did just see him here finding my notes. Elder Haight was there and he shared a similar account. Uh, but this is the way that this revelation was received. So whatever happened to make it be a policy in the first place, I don't know. But what I do know is that God stopped it. What I do know is that his uh, appointed servants all received the same thing. So with that, I kind of just transition into a, a quick note about the Articles of Faith. Articles of Faith are some of my favorites. It's awesome. Each each article of faith, each verse, as we want to maybe say, um, is packed with truth. Each sentence is packed with truth. And that's what I invite you to do and challenge you to do this week as you study the articles of faith, is ask yourself where you would be without each of those truths. What do each of those truths mean to you? The articles of faith came from a letter to, um, it's called the Wentworth Letter, um, Joseph Smith wrote a letter to a man by the last name of Wentworth, uh, who was uh, a journalist who had asked questions about the saints. And so Joseph wrote this long article. We actually have a copy of it um, in church records. It's pretty cool. He kind of he goes through his the first vision. He gives an accounting of just the restoration as it was unfolding to him, um, and then he states these thirteen truths uh, that are later adopted as the Articles of Faith. Um, so as you look at these truths, where do they come from? They came from God. Is that any different than the revelations that we've just finished up in the Doctrine and Covenants? Are the, are the official declarations any different? No, they are not. They all come from God. And the message that we have from the Doctrine and Covenants from this month's or this year's study to me, is that if we ask, we receive. If we cherish the Word of God, if we value it, and we show Him that we value it, He gives us more. But He prepares us line upon line, precept upon precept. He prepared Joseph F. Smith to receive the revelation of the spirit world, 
and what happens after we die and, and the work for the dead. He prepared these men and brethren to change the policy concerning the ordination and the priesthood. And it comes in the Lord's time and in the Lord's way. And if we are willing to act, he will, he will use us. And if we're, if we stand ready with the simple truths, truths like those in the articles of faith, we can stand as a witness to him in all that we do. We can be prepared with those truths. We can be prepared to answer questions with those truths. Thanks for listening this, uh, this week. Apologize for the lateness and, uh, best of luck in your studies. And I hope to talk to you next week.